You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks! Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks! Powered by Seahawks.com. Did you miss us? Because we missed you. Welcome back to the Seahawks Insider Podcast. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the team, alongside John Boyle from Seahawks.com. And I don't know what makes me chuckle more, John, the fact that you were dancing to our opening music. too bad there's no camera in here. Or your Movember mustache, (laughs) which is really starting to take shape. It's something, huh? It is something. It's a look. And you know what? If you haven't seen it yet, make sure that you check it out when we post our key matchups for this weekend so that you can get ready for the Eagles game. Are you ready for football after a week off? I am. You know, it's obviously great to have a weekend off and get a little family time and all that, but you start to miss it a little bit, the excitement of the build-up to the game and the game itself. So, yeah. Also, I lose track of days in the week. Oh, for sure. I'm very routine-oriented, and I cannot figure out what my schedule is if there's yeah. no football game. Wait till next week with a Monday game and a yeah, holiday it's in the middle really of the week. It's going to be screwed. Right. Between that and the holidays, people are trying to screw yep. me up. I talked to uh, Nick Ballor yesterday about the bye week. And, you know, all the guys really had a chance to enjoy it and, and to get away from football. And when you have the bye week in week 11, everybody needs a break. But Ballor said, you know, it's kind of like you're on the speeding train for 10 weeks and then you try to jump off the moving train and then get back on. Is how he described, you know, the, the last week of play, the bye week, and then getting ready for Philly this week. Because there is no slowing down against this Eagles team. No, it's a, it's a talented team. I know their record's not what they would like it to be, but there there's a lot of they can cause a lot of problems. So the Seahawks will have their hands full trying to recapture that momentum. And before we preview that matchup and give you a few things to keep an eye on, the thing I missed most about last week was we didn't have a chance to talk about that Monday night game against San Francisco. It goes to overtime. It's perhaps closer than it needs to be in the fourth quarter and in overtime. But, John, that was arguably the best that we have seen this team play in a lot of different phases. Um, defense, for sure. You know, the offense didn't have its best game, but you got to give a lot of credit to the 49ers' defense, which is one of the best in the NFL. But that that defensive performance for the Seahawks was so encouraging because you, know, you, you look at the last few weeks, what we've been talking about is, you know, can, can they keep winning, giving up this kind of yardage and points? And, you hold the league's number two rushing attack under 90 yards. You finally get that pass rush going where Clowney was just wrecking the game on every play. You're you're getting to the quarterback. You're hitting Jimmy Garoppolo. You're intercepting passes, causing, you know, getting your hands on the ball. Uh, it was just, it was fun to see that defense look a lot more like a Seahawks defense. And, you know, for the first time since I can remember back to week two or three, Pete Carroll was not asked about the pass rush, yeah. you know, in his weekly press conference. And that's what he'd said a couple of weeks ago. Look, I hope that this turns around partly because I'm tired of being asked about it. It is the second time this season that the Seahawks defense has recorded five sacks in a game. It was five sacks for 33 yards lost against the 49ers in that Monday night game. John, they did that basically back in week one, five sacks for a loss of 23 yards. But why did it seem so much different and so much more dominating against the Niners? A couple of things. For one, because of the stretch that had preceded it. You know, you do it in week one and everyone's excited and you want to have a good pass rush. You do it after a few games of struggling to get the pressure. People are dying to see it. But it's the opponent matters, too. When you're talking about one of the best teams in the NFL, an undefeated team at the time, 
And then lastly, I'll, I would just go to kind of the way they did it. Of It wasn't just the sacks. It was they were hitting him a lot. They were causing problems. Even on the plays that weren't sacks, you saw some forced throws that were incomplete or tipped or intercepted. So it was just the way they affected Jimmy Garoppolo throughout the game. And the personnel looked just a little bit different. Ziggy Onsen not getting the same amount of reps. You know, we learned before the game that they were a little concerned about the weight that he was playing at. Mm-hmm. And really, he is playing about 30 pounds lighter than he normally would play during the course of the season. That affects a lot of things. Oh, for sure. I mean, with these defensive linemen, I mean, he's a speed guy. He's going to rely on his speed and his moves and all that. But you still need to be a certain weight and strength and all those things. And if that isn't there because of the the shoulder problem, that I'm sure is playing into a lot of why he hasn't been quite as productive as the Seahawks and Ziggy himself would like to be. So, they're, you know, they're working on it. They they hope to get more out of him down the stretch here, but it, it's good that they were able to still get a pass rush going without it. Well, and it opens the door for somebody else. Shaquem Griffin mm-hmm. gets his first snaps on defense, and Pete Carroll indicates that there there could actually be more for him. The thing that he, he really brings a, a whole level of speed and, and uh, activity that we like, and we, we've been working him in practice, and uh, we just want to continue to, to expand that, see how it goes, and see it. we have to use him better. Um, and uh, the, as we see him, we're learning more about what we can do with him. So it was a good, good addition, I thought. You talk about the speed that Ziggy Ansah plays with. I would say Shaquem Griffin plays with a lot of speed, too. He, he's not going to be your, your big guy that's going to bull rush you, but there's an advantage there. If he can get to the outside, turn some guys back inside where you got Clowney and Reed waiting. Yeah, as Bobby Wagner said the last time he played with a defensive lineman that size was Utah State. But, uh, yeah. And by the way, it was the nose, nose tackle. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I'm sure that must have looked funny. But anyway. The, I thought uh, the same thing when Bobby said that. Yeah, I mean, Shaquem Griffin's not going to be in every down defensive end. He's just too small in the NFL. It, it wouldn't really work against the run. But. If it's a change of pace where you bring a guy with that kind of speed, as he develops, you know, learns a little bit more about how teams are going to counter his speed and he works works out some more pass rush moves, that could be a real weapon. It's something that, you know, we go back to training camp, that was a big storyline and it never really materialized. So could be a fun wrinkle to see how it develops as we go forward. Shaquem Griffin has been a special teams player, even though we hadn't seen him on defense until the Niners game. Ugo Amadi has been a special teams player, and Bobby Wagner said this week that, you know, when you come in as a rookie, you don't always get the job that you want, but you need to take advantage of the role that's there. And Pete Carroll has noticed that from Ugo, and he's going to get some more chances this week based on his growth. He's gathered, you know, hundreds of reps more now. He's better versed now than, than ever. He's a real smart player and a real heady player. He, he really has his assignments in order and, and, and the techniques that we're, we're expecting to play. So if he's the guy playing in the game, he, we really can count on him to know what's going on. And he's, just, he's better now than he was just because of the time he spent. Yeah, one thing that Ugo brought up himself, you mentioned with guys being, you know, on special teams not getting their chances. They hear about it from coaches. Cam Chancellor, 2011. He comes in, fifth-round pick. They see a lot of potential there, but they had Lawyer Malloy, Earl Thomas. They wanted to give Cam some time to develop, and he became this really solid special teams player who, as the season went on, carved out a little bit of a role in some of the nickel and dime packages. Next year, he's a starter. Now, look, I'm not saying Ugo Amadi is going to be Cam Chancellor. That's not a fair comparison, but they understand that that matters, what you show on special teams and how you – run and hit and just the instincts that are involved and he's been a great special teams player so now they waved Jamar Taylor this week that nickel job appears to be Ugo Amadi's you know they're going to make him compete for it this week and show that he's ready for it but 
he's an exciting young player, and I think both fans and his teammates are pretty excited to see what he can do. And, you know, you talk about that Cam Chancellor effect, and it's not just the way that he played special teams, but Ugo Amadi told us during training camp that he started to pay attention to the Seahawks' defense right about the time that Sherm tipped that pass away from Michael Crabtree. And after that, he started noticing the intensity that they played with, the way that they tackled. And, you know, he started to model his game as much as he could personally after what he was seeing from the Seahawks' defense. And Bobby Wagner says that has showed up in his game he he fits in nicely whether he becomes the full-time nickel or just a guy who can maybe get some reps in there with Marquise Blair because it does look like Quandre Diggs legit player by the way yeah is a nice fit at safety not necessarily nickel where he was playing in Detroit yeah Diggs you know he has a nickel background and that in theory is something they could look at but based off the way Pete has talked about what he's seen out of the safety play I don't see him wanting to tweak with that at all because he really liked what he saw to Diggs and McDougal last week, or I guess it was two weeks ago now. That that safety combination, that was their fifth safety combination. They've been yeah. changing it up a lot this year, mostly because of injuries. But if they really like what they saw there, I just don't see messing with it right now. It's definitely a viable option and could be a way to get Marquise Blair on the field if you wanted to you know, shift Diggs to nickel in those situations. But I think first they want to see just what it looks like with Diggs and McDougal together every play, and then you bring Ugo in as that nickel and see what he can do. Well, and it did seem like Bradley McDougal had a fantastic game. Whether he upped his game or whether he was playing more free, I don't know what you would call it. But I'm wondering, you know, there's been a lot of combos back there that he's had to work with. Maybe not switching back and forth. Yeah. And it's great to be versatile, but there might be something there to yeah. having I mean, digs. He, he's never been shy about saying he prefers playing strong safety, and he's more than willing to do whatever the team needs of him. But if he can stay in that role... He's with another veteran who's going to know what he's doing out there. It, it could be fun to just watch this tandem grow. And it was, it was I mean, the way that those two were both hitting was exciting. Just, you know, it was kind of that physical, tough secondary play that we've come to know here. Speaking of tough and physical play, not in the secondary, but how about on the offensive side of things? Ed Dixon has been biding his time. Yeah. He's been practicing. He has been all smiles knowing that he was going to be activated this week. Couldn't have come at a better time with Luke Wilson being hurt. But, of course, Ed Dixon, the veteran, brings a little something. Great time for him to be available to us. Uh, you know, he wanted to get back a couple weeks ago. We couldn't fit it in. Um, but uh, Luke is kind of opening the door for him. Um, I know you guys are probably wondering you're going to ask about because he has a hamstring. We could ask about that. But um, Luke has been such an extraordinary healer over the years that um, I know there's no category for it, but we're going to call him probable, even though it, it doesn't exist. So you never know. But uh, Eddie coming back is great, and um, he's really excited to contribute and help out. For those who missed Pete Carroll's press conference yesterday, it was it was a fun one. He was in a little bit of a goofy mood there, so he's he's re bringing back injury uh, report terms that no longer exist and calling Luke Wilson probable. Which, if that actually happens, would be pretty impressive because it looked like a pretty legit hamstring last week. It did. Here's the other thing that makes me laugh: is the way that we categorize inj injuries. He has a hamstring. Well, I would hope that he actually has yeah. two hamstrings. We but all have every hamstrings. time, it's like, well, he's got a leg. Well, again, I would hope that you do. It's just kind of funny and makes me chuckle because, out of context, when you're not sitting in that room, it just sounds Good funny. For him. But the other part of that injury update is that Tyler Lockett is expected to play. And that was a pretty scary thing. We yeah. didn't know what happened until after the game. You know, we knew that he wasn't returning in overtime. The fact that he was on the practice field this week after spending a couple of nights in a hospital, that's really good news for the offense. And I would say, I, I don't know, you know, 
when we talked about it at the beginning that perhaps the offense didn't have their best game against the 49ers, I would like to point out that they won the time of possession, and the 49ers had won the time of possession in every single one of their games going into that matchup on Monday night. In addition, the Seahawks' running game was able to go for 147 yards against a a team that was shutting everybody else out in the run. Yeah, and I guess maybe I I overstated that earlier. I didn't mean to make it sound like they played poorly, just that most of these games recently until this past game were the Seahawks are winning because Russell Wilson and the offense have been phenomenal and just lighting up the scoreboard, you know, throwing three touchdown passes, whatever. Whereas this game, they needed their defense to step up, and the defense really did. And so that's just more what I was getting at, that it was the defense carried them a little bit. And the offense, as you mentioned, they did a lot of things well against one of the very best defenses in the NFL. Yeah, and I, I didn't mean to really call Jen's you out. Just me kind out. of I, put it fine, into perspective fine. on things there. You know, when we talk about that offense, it's hard to imagine Russell Wilson getting any better. And yet when you've got guys like DK Metcalf and now Josh Gordon, who – Two huge catches, yeah, and if that's down. Uh, it's just so smooth, yeah. right? That one throws a little low, just caught it in stride. That's it, He made it look easy, but that is not an easy catch at all. No, no, and he was so delightful to talk to after the game. I can't wait to see what it looks like against Philly this week, and as we turn our attention towards what the Eagles have, you know, look, they would like to have a couple of the Seahawks wide receivers because currently they have three wide receivers that are healthy. You got a running back that's beat up, and they could be relying on three rookies at key positions this week. Including a local guy, Woodenville product and Wazoo alum, uh, Andre Dillard, has a decent shot at starting at right tackle. They're starting their usual right tackle as a concussion. Good good young player and was a first-round pick for a reason, but he his previous starts have all been a left tackle, and if, if Dillard has to go and start at right tackle, see Lodge, Devian Clowney, that's a matchup that you would think that might favor the Seahawks a little bit. Well, and not only do you have that, which, man, with the way that Jadavion was going, yeah, I, I would take him all day long. But you got running back uh, Miles Sanders, who's likely to play if Jordan Howard can't go. He has not been cleared to return to practice with a stinger. And then one of your three wide receivers is a rookie. J.J. Arthea, Arthega? I got it. Arthega. J.J. Arthega Whiteside who was taken a few spots ahead of DK Metcalf. When you look at the numbers, by the way, DK, the most productive wide receiver of the rookie draft class this year. You know, I I don't know. I just, it's interesting to see when you look at Carson Wentz's numbers and you understand that he has not been as effective this year, you look at the weapons around him, you understand and hope that there's a chance for the Seahawks to take advantage. Yeah, and to that point of, you know, being banged up in their running game, They've run the ball really well in their victories, and some of these games they've lost, they've struggled a little bit. You know, you look at some of these rushing numbers, they'll you know, put up 100, 200 yards and 146 last week. So, it's you know, they've relied on that running game, and if, if it's because of injuries or just Seahawks defense playing well, if you can shut that down, I really like the Seahawks' chances of having another big day on defense. Well, and look, I know that it says that the Seahawks' rush defense is 12th in the league with over 100 yards allowed a game. But I think it's a little bit skewed because the Seahawks have not allowed a team to rush for 100 yards in the last three games. And seven of the 10 games played, they've held opponents to under 100 yards rushing. Basically, it's Lamar Jackson's fault. It's that Lamar that Jackson. Is what it is. Right? It's 199 yards given up to the Ravens that really skews that number. 157 to Cleveland wasn't great either. But if that's what I'm looking for, 
I feel pretty good about the Seahawks' chances to stop the run. Yeah, they've been a really good run defense most of this year. There was, you know, early in that Cleveland game, Chubb got out, got some big runs, and then Lamar Jackson did to the Seahawks what he does to everyone in the NFL and was a big pain in the butt and ran and made a lot of plays. So, yeah, if again, if their run defense can do its thing, and this is why we've seen them play a lot of base defense like they had, and they they get the job done, I really like their chances. You just mentioned something I'd meant to ask about earlier when we talked about that nickel play. We have seen them play more nickel the last couple of yeah, weeks. Yeah, it started to tick up a little bit. Is that a trend that continues to go? Is it personnel-based? It's You know, I think it's been a combination of personnel-based, but also what the matchups are. You know, I, when you asked Pete Carroll about it early in the year, they are playing so much base. Some of it was matchup related, but a lot of it was they felt it was their best way to get their best guys on the field. So if Ugo Amadi comes in and plays lights out and they like what they're getting out of him, yeah, we'll see more nickel. But if they struggle a little bit in that area, and Michael Kendricks has made a lot of plays this year, he's going back to Philly to play a team he knows well. I'm sure he'll be motivated to get some stuff done. So, yeah, you know, I think we're going to see them be a little heavier base all year, I would, I would think. But I think – There'll be some more nickel as we go forward. Well, and weather, I think, could be a factor, too. Yeah, right? for sure. It, that, it and could game be pretty yucky dictate it, too. I mean, Philly, you got yeah. late in that game against San Francisco. You're stopping the run. They're they're throwing a lot more. All of a sudden, it became a lot more nickel. If if they're, if they're Philly's committed to the run and it's a low-scoring, yucky weather game, as you put it, I like that, yucky. Yucky. Sounds well, like, I'm the one that's yeah. going to have to stand in it on the sideline, so I'll, that's what comes I'll to mind. I'll be good in the press box. But, yeah, in that case, we could see a ton of base. Last phase of the game that I want to mention before we wrap up, special teams is coming off of their best game of the year against the 49ers. They have a hustle board and a goals board outside the Seahawks locker room that every game they chart, what is it, about two dozen categories? Oh, it seems like a whole lot more the way that they have written out. It's 12, and this week there was only two categories that they did not. Ten of the 12 hit, yeah. yeah. And one of them was penalty-free, and it was the penalty that Nico Thorpe got that I, little, I think was a little, little questionable, yeah. right? But Nico did tell me a couple weeks ago, he goes, look, we have had far too many mistakes on special teams. We are not what we're supposed to be. And I would expect this starts to turn around because now you've had these guys out here plenty of times. And thankfully, I think for those guys, because you don't want Nico yelling at you, uh, yeah, I think I mean, it has. And that is a crucial thing at this time of the year. They've been counting on a lot of rookies on special teams. And inevitably, there's going to be more mistakes early in the year than late in the year when you do that. And more importantly, when we're talking about special teams, maybe not more importantly, but just as importantly, is what Jason Myers did. Yes. There's, you know, there's a lot of talk about his play the last few weeks, and he missed three kicks in that Tampa Bay game. To, to come out and make every kick he had, including a game winner and what could have been a game winner in regulation late in the fourth quarter, that's, and heck, uh, an extra game winner when they tried to ice him. So, I mean, he made basically three really clutch kicks in that game. That's big just for what it can mean for him going forward to, to build that confidence because we all know kicking is such a head game. Well, and, I mean, I watched a lot of football on Sunday since we didn't have a game. That was not a great yeah. game for kickers. Your great week for kickers. And I would still feel more confident with Jason Myers out there than with a lot of other options. Yeah, the league-wide, for whatever reason, the numbers are down this year. I think there's been more missed kicks this year than in forever, basically. But I don't know the exact number, so I'm just making stuff up as I go along here. But, yeah, it's it has been a rough year for kickers. Jason Myers bounced back well, and I, I think they have the utmost confidence in him. 
And I would like to see a game not go to overtime, back-to-back yeah, overtime seriously. games. It's stressful. It is so stressful. It does make for a fun flight home after you win, but I'd like to win perhaps in regulation this week. In order to do that, John, what do you need to see happen? Well, we just talked about it, but I want to keep that Eagles running game in check. As you mentioned, their their weapons are limited. I, I do think Carson Wentz is a great quarterback, but just the way their passing game has been going right now, I, I don't think that can beat the Seahawks on its own. So let's say keep them under 90 rushing yards. And let's see, we'll, we'll go to the other side of the ball. I want to see Russell Wilson be turnover free, which he has been most of the year. He had the one interception. I mean, he just, that was few feet away from being exactly. a game-winning pass. Oh, that was about but to be so pretty. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I don't want to do Russell Wilson because we know he'll take care of the ball. I want no one else to fumble. Too many fumbles. Pete Carroll talked about that after the game. Can't keep doing that. And it's, you know, they've gotten away with it a lot this year, but it's going to bite him in the butt one of these days. So let's have everyone on the offense fumble free. Okay, Sorry I like if I that. Stole yours. No, I just, I I'm going to go completely different. Nope. I'm going to go completely different. Last week, when Philly was trying to close out a game against the Patriots, their last ten drives were seven punts, a fumble, and a failed hail mary. I want special teams to play a big role in this game I and like to it. always make the Eagles have to drive fifty-five or more yards to get to the end zone. This seems reasonable. It does, right? And then. I would like to see at least eight dropped passes by Philly receivers because either Carson Wentz has happy feet or because they feel the pressure of that secondary. We saw eight drop passes by San Francisco receivers last week after just a couple of monster shots. I'd like to see that continue. Those add up. You, You get those hits in early, the receivers start feeling them late. Yeah. So that's what I got for you. Hopefully all all of that adds up to a win. And we'll be back next week breaking it down for you. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seahawks Insider Podcast.